Welcome to the Field of Church podcast. Our church inhales and exhales the gospel every Sunday and is excited to bring our messages to you here. Thank you for joining us and we hope God moves in your life as you listen into this feed. Man, I, I don't know if you felt the sacredness of that moment like I did, but whew, just to get to worship God, to say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for not taking you seriously, for not letting you be my first love. Man, I hope it washed over you the way it washed over me. I'm, I'm almost spent. I don't even know if I can preach now after that, but I'm going to try because I think God has a message for you. And I, I'm joined here with uh, my crew to remind me that I'm, I'm not preaching to nobody because sometimes it gets really old preaching just into a camera. So guys, thank you for being up here, being a part of this with me. So I paid them a lot of money to amen a lot and to nod their heads really big. So if it looks over the top, they're just trying to earn some extra cash. Just know that from the beginning. But uh, so here's the deal, guys. I, I think God, and, and we, we try to plan these services out, Reggie, where we try to make sure it's seamless, but sometimes you just realize there's a God moment. And that song, just reminding about the passion for God is exactly what the Lord has for us today. He's just, he's wanting to remind us of love. So I got a question for you. I really want you to wrestle with it. And I want you guys to wrestle with this as well. So what do you most love in life? Like what are the things that you really, really love in life? And I think there's a lot of things you could answer that question with. Your children, maybe, if you have children. If you're married, hopefully your spouse is somewhere up there in that. Uh, you know, maybe it's your career. Maybe it's a sports team. Maybe it's that boat that you were finally able to get. Maybe it's that nightcap at the end of the day that you look forward to all day long. Maybe it's that God you say that you serve. What do you most love? And I want us to wrestle with that question because I think I think it's really dangerous sometimes to answer. I'm sure like if I cornered you in church somewhere when we can finally come back together again in the building and I said, tell me, what do you most love? I, I know you'd have an answer. It'd probably sound pretty churchy, but I don't really care what you say you love. I want to know what you really love. And so uh, for those of you taking notes, you guys, this is something I want you all to remember. I want you to remember this too. This is a, there's a very easy way to know what you really love. It's very simple. You can always tell what you really love by what you're willing to sacrifice for it. You can always tell what you really love by what you're willing to give up for whatever that thing is. Your sacrifice proves your love. So I, I, I am certain, I know many of you watching this right now, your parents, and I know how deeply you love your children. I know it because of how much you sacrifice for them. You have sacrificed time and energy and money and sanity to raise these children that don't appreciate it at all. And you do it because you love them. Your sacrifice proves your love. But I know there's some of you and you love your career. And if you were honest with yourself, you've had to sacrifice a whole lot to get ahead in your career. You've sacrificed time, sleep at night, maybe some of you, even your marriage, just to get ahead at work. You're proving what you love by what you're willing to sacrifice. I know Brandon, he loves his guitar. The brother sleeps with it every single night. You know, he, he loves his guitar. Man, he's sacrificed. I'm just kidding, I hope. I hope you don't. But he's really good at the guitar, so that, that's the possibility. Kyle had to give it up once he got married to Callie. But you know, there's a season where you really love your instrument, man. You sacrifice for it. You spend a lot of money on it because you love it. There's some of you, I know you love your sports team because of how much money you drop into that sports team. And let me just go ahead and say this, dude. The fact that you painted your car your team colors is over the top. There's a line, you just stepped over it, all right? Just be aware of that. There's some of you, you prove, you prove what you love by what you give up for. And there are some of you, and you're watching this right now, and you've proven how much you love, whatever that substance is, that drink, that drug, that chemical, whatever it is, because you've given up your dignity, 
You've given up your marriage, your family. You've given up your career. You've given up everything for it. I know, I know you're thinking, Jason, it's a little early to get kind of preachy like that, isn't it? I, I'll, I'll cool my jets a little bit. I, I have a point, though. Here's my point. What I said before is true. You know how much you love something by what you're willing to sacrifice for it. And so today, Paul wants to challenge us. He wants to take us to that very theme and say, guys, there are a lot of you and you have a misplaced love. You were sacrificing for all the wrong things. You're, you're looking for love in all the wrong places. And he's saying, I want you to know there's only one person worthy of that kind of love and sacrifice, and it's God. And he's going to challenge us, not just to say that we love God with our lips, but to show that we love God with our sacrifice. So he's going to do that in 2 Timothy. So you guys have your Bibles. If you're watching, you have your Bible, open it up. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to continue on in our series through 1 and 2 Timothy. And so these guys up here have been in this journey, walking on chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Many of you watching have as well. Last week, we got to hear an incredible message by our church planner and resident, Charlie Howe, because he challenged us from the second part of chapter two. And I loved what he said. He encapsulated everything by saying that we need to teach the truth of Jesus in the way of Jesus so people can find the forgiveness of Jesus. And I thought, man, what's a powerful way to teach that truth? But if you know anything about the scriptures, they build on each other. And so today he's going to take that same idea. But what he's going to do is he's going to tell us that there are people, there are forces fighting against the truth of Jesus so that it doesn't go out in the way of Jesus, so that people don't find the forgiveness of Jesus. There are forces that are at work that, that prey upon misplaced loves. That's what he's getting at in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So let's jump into the passage. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Here's what it says. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanders without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Dang, that brother went after it. Right here in the beginning, man, he, he did not hold back, Kyle. Paul said, I'm going to call sin what it is. Sin, I'm going to shoot straight with you. There's a broken world around us. This, this list just describing it. But here's what's so incredible about this list. Brooke, I don't know why. I never noticed this before. He's actually talking not about the broken world out there. He's talking about the church. Because if you notice in verse 5, listen to what he says. He says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. He's talking about the church, Brandon. He's saying this list of people, this ungrateful, heartless, brutal, treacherous, reckless miscreants are the church. Which you're going, okay, Tommy, I know what you're asking. Like, how in the world can this possibly be describing people in the church? Well, let me tell you how. We're really good at loving religion a whole lot more than God. This is actually the very thing that the Apostle Paul was dealing with. If you, if you were to go back to, to 1 Timothy chapter 4, he had warned Timothy, there are these false teachers and they're going to spread this lie that's going to try to counter the gospel. And here's a lie. If you'll just practice certain holy things, if Reggie, if you'll just fast enough, you know, if you just do enough good, if, you, if Jacob, as long as you don't go getting married, as long as you don't go eating those types of foods or drinking those types of drinks, then, then you'll be holy. As if the gospel isn't enough. This legalism, this asceticism, and here was the reason for that. It gave you an out. Like, I don't really have to have a heart change. I just got to play the good church game. As long as I do this well, then I'll, I'll be perceived as godly. And he's saying, watch out for that. That's a, that's a lie that distorts truth. And the problem is that lie still pervades today. There are a lot of people. Uh, there may be some of you watching this. And you know how to play the church game. But your heart hadn't been rooted in the gospel. There's a quote by a gentleman. He was a pastor from 100 years ago. 
talking about the same thing, describing these empty, hollow Christians that are all over the place. His name is J.C. Ryle. Here's what he says. You can see the quote there on your screen. He says, when you examine their inner lives, you find that they know nothing of practical godliness. They are neither truthful, nor charitable, nor humble, nor honest, nor kind-tempered, nor gentle, nor unselfish, nor honorable. Their religion is an empty form. This was 100 years ago, and he's describing the church. This empty form, this hollow religion. And, and I know every single one of you watching this, you probably got in your mind this thought of what that looks like. That person who claims to be a follower of Jesus, but they're as mean as snakes. You know, they, they, don't, they don't live it out. Their faith didn't seem, doesn't seem to be real. They're playing the game. We all see it. But, but here's the danger. Melody, if I, if I could be honest with you, the, the real danger we have is that we have a tendency to look at everybody else and say, yeah, man, those people are jacked up. Good thing that's not me. We have a, an easy tendency to see the flaws of others and go, yeah, they're reckless, they're treacherous, they're, they're evil, they're heartless. Good thing that's not me. The reason I know we do this is because I'm one of those people. I can see the faults in everybody else and I can't see it in myself sometimes. And I think what we gotta be really cautious is, is not to cast this out to other people and realize we need to look in the mirror and see these words describe us. And really, you'll see it more easily when you see the, the framework of these. There's a whole bunch of words and you can get lost in all the words. But really, the way he starts us off, if you look at verse two, he starts it off with two descriptions of misplaced love. He says lovers of and lovers of that start the list. And then he ends the list in verse four with two more descriptions of lovers of and lovers of. And this becomes the framework that, that every other word is built on. So back in verse two, he says they are lovers of self. That's what you call narcissism. Lover of self. And then it says, lovers of money. That's what you call materialism. So these two broad categories, narcissism, materialism, lovers of self, lovers of money. And then at the end of it, in verse four, it says, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Those are the four categories of love interests. You got lovers of self, narcissism, lovers of money, materialism, lovers of pleasure, hedonism, and then lovers of God, true faith. And what Paul is saying is these are mutually exclusive. You are either consumed with love of God or you fall and pray to one of these false loves. There is no in-between. Now, I don't know, Kyle, I'm, I'm sure you know the name Rick Warren. You, you've heard of him before, right? So biggest church in the United States of America out in Orange County and wrote The Purpose Driven Life. I don't know if you've read that book before, but a great book. And, and Pastor Rick Warren, he has a really good statement that kind of encapsulates this idea. Another thing you might want to write down. He says, there are three traps that are all related, same three things that we've been talking about. These desires that Satan uses to, to grab us and pull us away from the love of God. It's the desire to be, the desire to have, and the desire to feel. You know, to, to feel a feeling. So desire to be, desire to have, and desire to feel. Now, I, I want to walk these through with you because I want you to see how these attack us as well. First one, Brandon, the desire to be. You go, what does that mean, desire to be? To be successful to be important, to be respected, to, to be in control. This desire for achievement, to be somebody that people look up to. Now, if you remember what I said before, there's a way you know what you really love. And this falls in that love of self category. You know what you really love by what you're willing to sacrifice for it. And there are so many people who've sacrificed everything just to get ahead in life, to get ahead in their career, to be respected, to be wanted. And they're so consumed with their own needs and interests, they've forgotten all about the needs and interests of others, which, by the way, was the antithesis of Jesus, who thought not about his own interests, but about the interests of others. 
but we pay this high price because we get consumed with this, this love of self. We're caught up in this desire to be somebody. He's saying, watch out. There was that second one though, Reggie. It's such a strong one in our country. He says, watch out for the trap, the desire to have, to be defined by what you have. Okay, if you haven't noticed this, if you live in the United States of America, we are driven by materialism in this country. And we think we're defined by what we have. Man, if, if, I, could just, if I could just have that house, if I could just get that new car, if I could just get that iPhone, man, I got my iPhone 6S and that sucker keeps wigging out. I just need that new iPhone, which by the way, I do have the 6S and it keeps wigging out. <laughs> if I could just get that new iPhone, and if I could just get that new pair of Nikes, oh man, I'd look so smooth walking through school. If I could just have whatever thing that, that is that, that I think will make me happy. And there are so many people that pay such a high price to have it. They are working themselves to the bone just to earn a little extra cash. They've thrown generosity out the door. They don't get that feeling of being able to help somebody else in need because they're just trying to get more and more thinking, if I just have this, they're racking up credit card debt. Am I describing some of you watching this? You're, you're extending yourself because you falsely believe that when you have it, you'll be happy. You're paying too high a price. You've fallen in the trap of thinking that as long as you have it, you'll be okay. But that's, that's the love of money, the love of materialism. And he's saying, watch out. There's that, that third one, Melody, he talks about not just the desire to be, not just the desire to have, but the desire to feel, to feel pleasure, to feel a release. And, and, and I know when I talk about that, it's easy to disregard. That's not me, man. I'm not a pleasure seeker. And there are a lot of people who think, well, that's pornography, which by the way, it is. That's part of it. And we, we say, well, as long as I don't struggle with porn, that's not my, but it's so much bigger than that. The desire to have pleasure, hedonism, is really to find anything that will make me temporarily happy. And I want you to know, I mean, we live in a country that is wrecked by this. Opioids attacking so many people, over-the-counter pills, people can get some buzz, the drink that they wait for every single night they long for, that, that, that chemical, that shot, jonesing for something, they just want something to get that feeling. But let's be cautious. Be really easy to call them out, but Jacob, I know there's some people too, it's that fourth or fifth cup of coffee. You just like, I just need one more cup. It's, Tom, it's that, it's that piece of cheesecake right there, man. Like, I know I should say no, but I'd feel so good if I just ate this piece of cheesecake. Some of you watching going, get off my toes, Jason. My wife may be one of those people right now. Don't you, be, don't you come with cheesecake, Jason. That's, that's, that's of God, man. Well, listen, there's, there are all kinds of pleasures that we seek. And sometimes we pay an exceptionally high price for those things. But whenever we're driven by that pleasure, thinking that's going to satisfy us, the song we sang earlier, God, forgive me for being satisfied by all these things that can never satisfy me. Pleasure will never satisfy. It's a trap. Here's what's so crazy. Reggie, this is something that shocks me. This is the same three traps Satan has been using from the beginning of time. If you were to go back to the book of Genesis and look at how he deceived Adam and Eve, it's the same three things. If you go over to the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, go to Matthew chapter four when this thing's over. Read about it. You're gonna see three things and it was the temptation to be, the temptation to have, and the temptation to feel. Satan has been using the same book of tricks. Got nothing new. Only problem is Jesus is the only one who didn't fall prey to it. We fall prey over and over and over. And we got no clue how destructive it is. I don't know, Kyle, I don't know if you've ever thought about how cruel these are, but let me tell you the, the worst part about it is that it distorts the truth of the gospel. When you think you can be satisfied with anything other than God, 
you've distorted the truth of the gospel. This is why Paul gives the warning to Timothy, saying, watch out, there are false teachers who are trying to propagate this message that as long as you, you, you can be, you, you have money, as long as you are important, as long as you have pleasure, you'll be okay. And he's going, watch out, because they are wrecking people's belief in the gospel. That's actually what he's getting at in verses six through nine. Let's keep on reading through the passage of scripture. See how he moves now to talk about these false teachers. Verse six, he says, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they'll not get very far for their folly will be plain to all as was that of those two men. So he says, there are false teachers who are around and these guys, they go around, they creep into households and they capture weak women. All right, what's he talking about? Well, that whole list he was given before was talking about these false teachers who are wrecking the church. And he's saying these false teachers, these narcissistic, materialistic, hedonistic miscreants who go around, they go from house to house. And this is Jacob, this is actually what they would do. They would go in the middle of the day, these false teachers, when they knew the husbands were off at work and they would go to these homes and they would talk to these women and these women, when he says weak, what he's referring to is the fact that they didn't have education. Now, I had the opportunity a few months ago to share a time of teaching with my wife, Virginia. And if you saw that, she shared a bit about Ephesus, where Timothy was at, and how the women in Ephesus didn't have access to any kind of education, which meant they were very, they were very susceptible to false teaching. That they were weak, not in that they weren't strong physically or even spiritually, but they, they didn't have the capacity to discern right from wrong. They'd never been educated. And these false teachers knew it. And so they would go from house to house and they would prey upon these uneducated women and they would try to get them to buy these lies. They would deceive these women so that they could not come to the knowledge of the truth. They could not come to faith in the gospel and be saved, stuck in slavery. That's actually why he brought up the idea of Janus and Jambres. Maybe if you read those two names in verse eight, you're going, who in the world is Janus and Jambres? And how did they oppose Moses? I don't remember reading that in the Bible. Well, what those two names are referring to is in Jewish literature, is another cool thing, Reggie, I had I'd never known before. These two names were the names in Jewish literature given to the two magicians of Pharaoh's court. So if you were to go back to Exodus chapter seven, whenever Moses went up to Pharaoh to say, it's time to let the people of Israel go to worship God. And he started doing miracles. First one got the staff turned into a snake and there were two magicians who were able to recreate that miracle. So they had hardened Pharaoh's heart. He wouldn't believe in Yahweh. And then Moses went into the Nile River, put the staff in, turned it to blood. And these two magicians were able to replicate through their dark works and through their trickery. And they deceived Pharaoh so that Pharaoh would not come to the knowledge of the truth of who Yahweh was. Now, ultimately, their, their plan did not succeed because they couldn't imitate all 10 plagues. But for a season, they were able to deceive Pharaoh from the truth. And so Paul is saying, just like those two magicians, these false teachers, they go around and they deceive people. And they find people who are susceptible to false teachings and they, they lead them astray so they will not come to the knowledge of the truth. He's saying, you got to watch out for these people. They'll destroy the very church, which I don't know. Maybe Kyle, maybe you're going, that's awesome, Jason. Thanks, man. I can't wait to go tell Callie and show her what I learned in church today, you know. And, but what does that matter for life? I mean, it's a cool point of truth, but how does that affect me today? Well, let me tell you why it matters. These false teachers are still alive and well today and they are ravaging the church. And let me tell you their false message. They're saying that if you are a follower of Jesus, then you should expect to be successful. You should expect to be wealthy and you should expect to be happy. The same lies of Satan that you 
are going to be somebody important, that you're going to have all that you want, that you're going to feel the pleasure you desire. It's called the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. It's a false gospel that is being trumpeted all over the place. And here's what it says. It says, listen, if you really believe God, you have faith in God. And listen, man, God is sovereign, right? God is good. And if God is sovereign and God is good and you love God, then shouldn't you experience his good pleasure on this earth? And they'll go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse six and say, listen, it says that you just, without faith, it's impossible to believe God. So you gotta believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God is a rewarding God, which Brooke, yes and amen. God's a rewarding God. There's just one small lie they put in there. And if you were here last week when you heard Charlie, he explained this well. He said, falsehood plus truth equals falsehood. So you just put one small little piece of falsehood in there, it wrecks the whole thing. And here's a one little small piece of falsehood. Absolutely, God is a rewarder of those who love him and seek him, but he does not promise that reward in this life. He promises, he guarantees that reward in the next life. But as long as you believe it's in this life, and you'll hear this message trumpeted all over the place, then you'll come to false conclusions that will pull you away from the gospel. Christianity becomes about being happy, being successful, about being wealthy, getting all that you ever dreamed for. Just name it, just claim it, you're gonna have it because that's what it means to be a Christian. That is the false gospel. It falls prey to Satan himself. And there are so many people who believe it because they want to believe it. But there is no promise in this book for health, wealth, and prosperity in this life. In fact, if you read this book, the only promise you get, Tom, I'm sad to say it, man, it's suffering. That's the only promise we get in this book. In fact, as it moves on, what you're going to see is Paul shift now in this, this word to Timothy to say, Timothy, don't, don't let anybody in the church fall prey to these false gods, these false loves. You've got to put your full love and attention on God. But let me tell you, that love is costly. That's what he gets to in verses 10 through 13. Let's finish up the passage with these four verses. Paul says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Now listen to this. Oh my goodness, Jacob, I don't even want to read it. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Did you hear that? There's one promise. All who desire to live a godly life in this life will be persecuted. Brandon, I don't know about you, but that seems like the only thing promised is suffering. The only thing promised is that there's gonna be hardship. That's the guarantee we have in life. And if anybody could show us the truth of that, it is the apostle Paul. He was a consummate sufferer. He knew what it meant to suffer incredibly so. In fact, he brings that back to Timothy's mind. Remember, he's talking to Timothy in this letter and he brings up, he says, remember my persecutions at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra. There's a reason why he listed those three. I didn't know this either, Reggie, but these three were actually right around Timothy's hometown. And if you remember the story we talked about in 1 Timothy, Paul was likely the one who led Timothy to faith in Christ Jesus, which means that when Timothy came to faith and he started following Paul, he would have seen Paul suffering in Antioch and Iconium and in Lystra. So he said, remember what you saw. Now, the, the Lystra one, man, that's horrible. I, Melody, I, I went back to, you should read this, Acts chapter 14. Go back when this is over, read it, get mad, just get together. So let's read this together, Jason told us to. But it's an incredible story of what Paul endured. So he goes into the, the, the town of Lystra and he comes in there and he heals a guy 
awesome thing, but the people over there, they believe in all these gods. And they go, we, we have a God among us. They start trying to worship Paul. Paul says, no, 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 don't worship me. No, no, I'm not a God. I want to tell you about who the true God is. Well, then the Jews come in, they get jealous of Paul. And so they turn the mob against him and they stone Peter, I mean, Paul. They start chunking huge rocks at him, pelting him. He crumbles to the ground, bleeding and broken. They drag him out of the city, sure that he's dead and they leave him there. And it says the disciples, they gather around Paul, just, I don't know, they're ready to take his body and it finally happened, he's dead. And all of a sudden, boom, his eyes pop open and Paul, he had just gone unconscious and he's, he's all swollen and bleeding and bruised. Do you know what he does? He gets up and goes right back into the city. He goes right back into Lystra. And then his disciples are like, Paul, you crazy, man. Come on, let's go on to the next city. He goes to Derby for a little bit. And then it says he goes right back into Lystra and keeps on preaching. Okay, so who does that? Brandon, maybe, but I don't do that. My goodness. You know, so here's what's crazy. What I said before, if you remember what I said at the very beginning, you can tell, you can always tell how, what you really love by what you're willing to sacrifice for it. If that's true, which by the way, I believe is true, then that brother Paul must have loved him some Jesus. Because look at what he was willing to sacrifice. So I don't care if you stone me. I don't care if you leave me for dead. I'm going back in because they need to know the goodness of my Jesus. Holy cow. Gosh. Oh, some God's been teaching me that I don't like. If I can be honest with you. I mean, you guys, maybe you know, we just got back from a fasting retreat. We were, we were in Colorado for four days just seeking the Lord, praying. And one of the books I felt the Lord lead me to read was uh, the book of Philippians. It's a great book. I mean, if you read the book of Philippians, it's beautiful passages. But if you read it quickly, what you discover about Philippians, is it's written about suffering. The whole book is Paul saying to the Philippians, just gird yourself up, you're gonna suffer. In fact, Philippians 1.29 is kind of the definitive statement. He says, it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It has been granted like a gift, Reggie, has been given to you, not just to believe in Christ, but to suffer for him as if it's an honor. And, and God was just saying, Jason, I've called you to pastor this church, but don't think for a second I've called you to something easy. If you want to bring glory to my name, it's not going to come by things going well. It's going to come by suffering. Can I just be honest with you? That's not a word I want to hear from the Lord, but it's a word I need to hear from the Lord. God's trying to show me we can bring him glory when we suffer for his name's sake. It just so happened that I'm in a season of reading a book right now. This had to bring a separate stool just to hold this book because it is so amazingly big. It's a 900-page book that uh, I don't know why I started reading it, but I did. It's called Parting the Waters. It's a great book. If you have about four years, you should grab it and try to read it. But it's about America in the Martin Luther King years and about movement towards civil rights and de desegregation in our country. Fascinating read. I'm only about like page 600, so I still got a ways to go. But one of the things I'm most fascinated by this is to see what was catalytic in the civil rights movement. Because you have Martin Luther King Jr., who was an incredible speaker and orator. He could just sway a crowd. He did bus boycotts. He did other things to really, to, to start making movements. But nobody in the national level knew who he was until the first time he was incarcerated. So he's from the city of Atlanta and he goes over with a group of people to try to work to bring about desegregation. And he goes into uh, the Magnolia Room in downtown Atlanta, so a white-only room. It's completely nonviolent, not causing any trouble, just going in there to say, we deserve to be served here. 
Well, the, the police come in there and brutally and unjustly arrest him and they throw him in jail. His wife is seven months pregnant. They have no clue what's going to go on. They've got no control because of the corruption in law enforcement at that time in Atlanta who are pushing for this thing. And he writes a letter to his wife, Coretta, who's there alone. I, I thought you should read his words because they're profound. This is Martin Luther King Jr. He wrote, Today I find myself a long way from you and the children. And I know this whole experience is very difficult for you to adjust to, especially in your condition of pregnancy. But as I said to you yesterday, this is the cross that we must bear for the freedom of our people. I have come, I have the faith to believe that this excessive suffering that is now coming to our family will in some little way serve to make America a better country. Just how, I do not yet know, but I have faith to believe it will. If I'm correct, then our suffering is not in vain. He's saying, Coretta, hang with me. I know this is hard. I know we're paying a price. I know I'm suffering, but this is what will make the change. And it was this moment, Reggie, that MLK started to have a national platform because they were appalled. Here's, here's a guy who's an outstanding, upstanding citizen. And he's being wrongly arrested, thrown in jail for no reason. And he's not fighting back. And finally, society says, that's just not right because he was willing to suffer. Well, a little while later, there was a group of students, these brave students who decided that they were going to try to help continue to push forward for desegregation. And they went to a city called Rock Hill. And all they did was they went to a counter that was a white only counter at McCrory's restaurant. And they were peaceful. They just went over there to sit, to be served. And they were wrongly arrested, just like MLK was. And they were dragged off for 30 days hard labor just for sitting at a table. And they're here suffering, enduring all this pain. And it was this moment that MLK, he wrote a letter to these young students who were doing hard labor in prison simply for sitting at a table. He said, you have inspired all of us by such demonstrative courage and faith. He said, you transcend the judgments of evil men who decry the powerful weapon you were using. Every day that you remain behind bars sears the conscience of that immoral city. Listen to this. You are shaming them into decency. That's the power of suffering. That when you finally choose, I'm not going to fight back. I'm not going to be violent, but I am going to be willing to suffer for something I believe in. No one can ignore you. You can actually shame people into decency. The reason why civil rights was able to move forward the way it was is because there were brave African-Americans, even some non-African-Americans who were able to stand up and say, I'm willing to suffer because this injustice must not stand. And when they were willing to suffer, that's when change finally happened because that's the power of someone who suffers. You got no doubt what a person believes in and, and loves when they're willing to suffer for it. No one doubted MLK when he was willing to go to jail, when he was willing to suffer, ultimately give up his life for the cause. No one doubted these students and what they believed because what they were willing to suffer. That's the power of suffering. Let me tell you, no one doubted the apostle Paul and his love for King Jesus because of what he was willing to suffer. And no one will doubt who you love when you're willing to suffer for him. So Brandon, I got a hard question for us. Are we willing to suffer for the king? Are, are you willing to suffer for the king? Listen, suffering can take all kinds of forms and fashions. I mean, it, suffering can be somebody who says, I feel like God is calling me to go overseas, to go to a place where the gospel is illegal and I could die, but I'm gonna go and I'm gonna take the good news of the gospel, even if I have to suffer because my king is worth it. Suffering 
It can be just saying, I'm going to foster a child who comes from a very traumatic background and they're going to bring baggage and difficulty and this struggle. And it may be a year or two or three or more of my life that I'm going to wrestle through this. And it's going to be hard, not just on me and on my kids and on my family, but I'm going to do it for the sake of the name. Suffering, Jacob, may just be, man, we're barely making ends meet right now, but God's calling me to be generous and to give. And I'm going to give even when it hurts because I'm going to do it for the sake of the name. Suffering may be, Kyle, you going, man, I heard Charlie last week and I got family and I got friends. I got life here, but God may be calling me to go with Charlie. Now, I know San Diego doesn't seem like suffering, but when you got to give up your home, when you got to give up your friends, when you got to give up everything you've ever known to go somewhere else for the sake of the name, that can be suffering. I don't know if that's true for you or not, but you and Callie should pray about that for sure. But for you watching, you need to ask yourself the question, is God calling me to suffer and am I willing In other words, who do you really love? If I could be honest with you, if you really do some soul searching, you may find that you love yourself a whole lot more than you love God. Oh, preacher, you're getting too preachy again. Don't get all up in my business. I know this is not a feel-good sermon. I get that. But it's a sermon we need. It's a sermon we need because one day we're going to stand before King Jesus and give an account of how we live this life. Now, I don't want you to leave here discouraged. I don't want you to go, I don't want Tom, I didn't want walking and going, dude, I stink as a Christian. Pastor Jason just told me I'm horrible. Listen, if you look in the mirror and you discover, maybe I love myself a little too much and I love Jesus a little too little, there's hope. God can get you off of these false loves. He can get you to stop settling for the love of self, for the love of money, the love of pleasure, and start loving God more. And here's how, by a deeper faith in the gospel of Jesus. The way you know that you love God first before everything else is to remember he first loved you above everything else. I love it. My favorite passage, Reggie. Well, one of my favorite. I got a whole lot of favorite passages, but 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. It says, in this is love, not that we loved him, but that he first loved us and gave us a son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The love that you have for God is predicated upon your understanding of how much he has already loved you. You love him because he first loved you. You sacrifice and suffer for him because he sacrificed and suffered for you. You're just following his lead. That's the beautiful message of the gospel. I mean, just think about the nature of God's love for you. Go back to the definition I gave you at the very beginning. You you can always tell what you really love by what you're willing to sacrifice for. If that's true, think about how much the father loves you. Because there came a moment when almighty God took his one and only son, his beloved only begotten, And he said, come here, mijito, I got a question for you. He said, Jesus, I I wanna know if you'll do something for me. I want you to go down to earth. I want you to limit your infinite power. I want you to take on flesh. And I want you to go minister to my people who will utterly reject you and hate you. I want you to let them throw their filthy, nasty sin upon your shoulders when you live a holy life. And I want you to let them crucify you. Will you do it, mijito? Will you go? And for some crazy reason, Jesus said, Poppy, I'll do it. I'll go. I'll never understand that kind of love. But look at what he was willing to sacrifice for you. That's how much he loves you. He don't ever have to doubt it. He just have to drink it deep. You just have to remember the love God has for you. Because when you do... You'll never settle for a love of self, love of pleasure, love of of things. You'll want the love of Christ. That's where it comes from. 
So I think there's no more fitting way for us to end this time together than just remembering the depth of the Father's love for us. And we're gonna do so as we sing a song and prepare to take the Lord's Supper. Listen, before we make that move, there's, there's some of you watching this and I'm so concerned about you. I'm concerned because you don't know how much the Father loves you. And it's not because it's not available for you. It's because you won't receive his love. And there are all kinds of reasons why you may be watching this and you just don't think you're worthy of his love. Maybe you're just feeling like, I, how could he love someone like me? Let me tell you how he sent his son to die on a cross for you. He was thinking about you. You're not worthy because you're good enough. You're worthy because he tells you you're worthy. So stop believing that lie. Well, there's some of you watching. It's not that you're angry with God. Why is he letting me go through this? Why did he let my loved one get sick and die? Why did he let me lose my job? Why, why? How could a good God do that to me? But before you start measuring up God with all these things, look back at the cross and you'll see how much he loves you. He was willing to give up his son for you. There's no greater love than this. And a man would give up his life for the ones he loves. He loves you. He just wants to know if you'll believe in that love. Or, or maybe... Maybe for you, you just, you just don't, you've been burned by so many Christians. You just don't know if all this stuff is true or not. Here's what I do know for you. You know that your pursuit of success and achievement has not satisfied you. Your pursuit of more and more material things has never satisfied you. Your endless pursuit of pleasure has never satisfied you. If you just get to the end of yourself and say, this will never work. There's only one thing that will. You'll finally come to the realization only God can satisfy your soul. And so today may be the day you need to say, I give up. I raise my white flag. I'm not going to fight you anymore. I need your love. I receive it. Word of God says, all you got to do is call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. If you just declare your faith, you turn away from your sin. I don't want that old life anymore. Jesus, I want you. I want to give myself to you. I want to love you. I want to follow you. I want to make you my king. Word of God says, you ask him, he'll forgive you and he'll save you. Listen, we would love to partner with you because I believe there's some of you watching this and your next step is to say, I declare my faith in Christ through baptism. We have a baptism celebration coming up in a little over a month where we're gonna have a beautiful time. There's already 30 people signed up for this baptism celebration. You may need to be one of them too. And it, it all comes just by taking a step of faith today. So here's what you need to do. If you're ready to take that step of faith, ready to receive the love of Christ Jesus, to open your arms to it, it's already there for you just to receive it. We wanna pray with you. We wanna partner with you. We wanna minister to you. So you can get your phone out and you can text the word next step to 94253, just like you see it right there on your screen. Or you can go to filler.org slash next step. And what'll happen is you're gonna just let us know your name, a phone number, some way to get a hold of you. And a pastor will reach out to you today and they will pray with you and they'll minister to you and they'll serve you. Look, maybe you just need a prayer. You have a prayer request. You need somebody to pray over you, whatever it is going on in your life. We're here to serve you and minister to you. Just let us know. Next step to 94253 or filler.org slash next step. I pray you'll take that. I pray you'll join the movement that God is doing in your life right now and say, I'm in. But I know there are many of you watching this. I know you guys here, you're ready to worship the Lord. And the way we do that is by saying, all right, King Jesus, I receive your love. Holy Father, your love for me is so deep. I want to declare that in song. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We're all going to stand up. If you're watching this right now, I just want to encourage you to stand up and to sing the soft, beautiful song to the Lord. Say, Father, your love for me is more deep than I could imagine. And I want to worship you. And I want to declare this. If you have somebody who's going to be preparing the Lord's Supper, they can go walk off right now. 